0: The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights, all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Very good morning, everybody. You're watching Sportbox. Wall Street closes on an upbeat note, going into the Thanksgiving break as the Fed signals it could soon dial back the pace of rate hikes. China tightens COVID restrictions as national new cases hit a record high, while the country's central bank hints at a potential triple-R cut in a bid to support the real economy.
1: EU states hit an impasse over the proposed G7 price cap on Russian oil exports, while a ceiling on gas prices also splits the bloc ahead of today's extraordinary energy summit.
2: Meanwhile, Russia has launched a barrage of missiles on Ukraine's energy infrastructure, sparking blackouts across the country. President Vladimir Zelensky tells an urgent UN Security Council meeting the Kremlin is unleashing energy terror.
0: When the temperature is below zero outside and tens of millions of people are left without electricity, heat and water as a result of Russian missiles hitting energy facilities, This is an obvious crime against humanity. Good morning all. Let's uh, kick off the programme then talking about the Federal Reserve. Fed officials expect to see smaller rate hikes ahead according to minutes from the FOMC's latest meeting. The Fed hike rates by 75 basis points earlier this month. It's fourth straight such hike. The account of the meeting said a substantial majority of participants, quote, judged that a slowing in the pace of increase would soon be appropriate. The minutes come. After U.S. inflation eased to 7.7% in October, markets are now pricing in a rate hike of 50 basis points in December.
1: And to the data, perhaps take this one with a grain of salt. U.S. weekly jobless claims rose to 240,000 last week at a three-month high as the number of Americans are filing new claims for benefits jumped by 17,000. The figure remains in line with pre-pandemic levels. While economists have warned that the data tends to be volatile around the start of the holiday season. Business activity in the states contracted for the fifth consecutive month in November with the flash composite PMI falling to a three-month low of 46.3. This was a miss on expectations with a slump in demand weighing on the economy.
3: Um, I, I
2: am supposed to be at the wall but like I just listening to your headline. A mm. uh, morning by the way. How morning, are you both? Good, good. Yeah. Is it feels so like happy it thanksgiving. Is, happy thanksgiving. Yes, happy and to all our US viewers, happy happy thanksgiving especially. Look, look, I don't know if it's a uh, I don't know, confirmation bias going on at the moment, or an echo chamber, you know, much used phrases between the market and the Fed. But mm. we rallied on the back of that, yeah? On the back of the Fed potentially shifting to 50 basis points from 75, yeah? That, that was the kind of the, the narrative I got overnight. Mm. Who didn't think that that was the narrative we already had? Oh, gosh, we can buy it again because we've heard the same news again. Mm. Whether it's Mesta, whether it's Daily, whether it's Bostic, all these policymakers. I think the notable exception being that bullard stuff we heard, with the spurious 7%, which sounded a bit weird, to be honest. Yeah. But, but it's like the market seems to want to buy, rally on the same story every single time. And it's something that is often the case. We've got a confirmation. Let's buy it again if someone else has said exactly what we knew already or what we thought we knew already after the recent CPI let's buy it again Uh, and it's an often asked question by me and it's often the same answer is how many times can the market rally on the same story Uh, and the the answer is quite a lot
1: but I wonder if it was the devil in the detail I mean we had uh, an idea which bit? that interest rates went up by, by another jumbo month, that the officials were behind it, that there was consensus. But this time, I think coming through the minutes, was that there is a slight wobble in just how strong some of those opinions are about the rate hikes. Mm. You had some concern that uh, there's still not enough action to tackle inflation that's becoming entrenched. Perhaps more increases warranted. And that's quite different to the other side that are worried well, about overdoing the increases and tipping the economy no into recession. And I think the discussion that was revealed in the minutes showed that breakaway, that the consensus is starting to fray at this point. And that does tell you about the challenge of pushing interest rates too far from here. And that brings into question uh, further jumbo size moves, of course, even uh, 50 basis points, historically a fairly large move. Uh, but the terminal rate, uh, the big question mark, and uh, I think you've seen ranges, what, from 4.6, where the Fed ended up and didn't change the assumption after the data in October, right up to more than 5% that some market participants are sitting on. So it's still a fairly wide gap. And I think this tone that came during the discussion was somewhat important yesterday.
0: For me, there was one piece of data that I think perhaps convinced people that this is genuinely the point of pivot. And it was the jobless claims number. And all the way through this, we've looked at various bits of data that have suggested a slowing in the United States. And yet the Fed speakers have largely ignored that data. But we know that this is a Fed that's very focused on labour trends. And we're now, I think, starting to see perhaps some of the first evidence that the actions that the Fed has already taken with a lag inevitably are beginning to have an impact on hiring intentions. And the fact that we saw the number of Americans filing new claims for jobless benefits rose to a three month high perhaps suggests that actually we're now at that stage where the delay of the first series of rate hikes is beginning to have an effect on business attitude and sentiment. You know the jury's still out here but we have had a whole slew of growth related companies that have been laying off tens of thousands of workers already here so perhaps the evidence that we are seeing an impact from those rate hikes is beginning to convince the market at least that the data and the Fed shift in language may actually run hand in hand here. What do you think?
2: I, I think you're right. But I think then the market has to think about the next stage, which is beginning to worry about, which is, Karen, you have mentioned this as well, like the the recession and the earnings recession as well. Can the market carry on rallying on lower inflation if indeed we get lower economic activity? And therein lies the question, ladies and gentlemen. Very quick look at the markets. Cole Smead, very patient man, on Thanksgiving, waiting for us. So we're up across the board on the US indices, including those growth stocks up 1%. NASDAQ uh, putting on 1%. For the week, the S&P has rallied 1.6% week to date 11 out of 11 uh, sectors are in positive territory led by materials up three percent dollar index has fallen actually we'll do asia index uh, first see what's trading over in asia And by and large, pretty positive flat market on the Shanghai Composite. But uh, South Korea, Hong Kong and Tokyo all rallying uh, pretty well. A quick look at the dollar crosses. Again, the dollar's getting an absolute pounding. Look at that, Jeff. We're at parity again on the pound. Oh, no, we're not, are we? I'll do that joke as long as those Berks are still out there who told us we're definitely going to parity. How about that? Maybe just to the end of the year. Because it's extraordinary how wrong so many geniuses who strayed out of their lane were about the pound. They all came over from their little Westminster bubble and told us we were going to parity. Get back in your lane, all right? You don't know anything about markets. 121 is where the pound is currently trading. Euro-dollar is rallying as well, 104. Uh, Dollar-yen is trading at 138.95. Dollar-yuan, 7.14.
0: Back to you and cold. And I think it's fascinating because I think the dollar was where perhaps arguably you saw some of the biggest movement off the back of the language from the Fed minutes. But let's get to Cole Smead. He's president of Smead Capital Management. Cole, good morning to you. Is this the big pivot that the market's looking for?
4: Yeah, I I think it's uh, what we're dealing with is a mania that's ended. And to your point, people are just grasping for things. And it's of biblical proportions. Uh, I think it's first Corinthians, it says, eat, drink and marry, be merry for tomorrow we die. And to, to Steve's point, I really think that people are looking, this whole time they've been looking, when are we going to pivot? When are we going to pivot? And the problem is, um, you pointed out some of the short-term data, like in the unemployment claims, but what the Fed is looking at is a labor market that's really unmoved to a certain extent. It's been strong throughout this um, uptick in commodity prices over the last two years. And the other thing that I think is being missed is, and, and Steve, uh, at Steve Jeff, and, and Karen, we've talked about this over the last couple of years, is where the consumer's at. Um, there's been a lot of talk of savings rates falling off here in the United States compared to what it was in the depths of the pandemic. But if you look at demand deposits that the St. Louis Fed uh, reports on, um, we have a mountain of cash. It's $3 trillion greater than prior to the pandemic. That money is being spent in the economy. The Fed cannot stop that movement of money.
0: Let's just um, back up a moment, though, because for all the hubris and, and the fact that it's put a smile on a few fund managers' faces who are along the market going into the Thanksgiving break here, ultimately the message is still that rates are going to trend higher here. Just the pace and yeah. size of move may be slower.
4: Yeah, well, I also think there's, there's going to be some healing, even if uh, markets, credit markets, move to higher rates. I'll, as an example, if you look at the thirty-year fixed mortgage here in the United States and compare it to the ten-year Treasury. Um, we went to historically abnormal spreads. In other words, bankers and uh, and credit institutions got damaged in the credit markets. And so therefore they just pulled back from certain markets. And that was a good example of a place where they pulled back. So now you got to remember though, banks, their cost of capital is not the 10-year treasury. Um, using Bank America, who we own as an example, th- I mean, they're, they're paying deposits anywhere from two basis points for retail to up to about 11 basis points for commercial. Um, you know, the the 10-year treasury is sitting out at 370. So I think there's a lot more rooms for banks to start to take in, um, you know, uh, go out and borrow in the real economy because, I mean, even what they could borrow, uh, you know, buy sovereigns at on their, on their deposit rates is crazy. So I think banking spreads um, are incredible here. The question is when do banks start really lending into the economy as the clarity, to your guys' point, about what's going to go on in the economy here. But in the interim, I think the best opportunity sitting out in cyclical arenas because that's where people are most deathly afraid. And that's not what the SP 500 provides to investors.
2: Carl, one of the most exciting things I've had is chatting to you and arguing with you in a very good spirited way about the US consumer over the last couple of years. So let's crack on, shall we? You just said how strong yeah. the US consumer balance sheet is. Credit card balances jump 15%, the highest annual leap in 20 years as Americans fall Mm -hmm. deeper into debt as well. Uh, Let me just give viewers one more figure as well. More consumers are now relying on credit cards to get by, which has helped propel total credit card debt to $930 billion in the third quarter, just shy of an all-time record. Carl, I hear your point of view as well, but Americans are using the most expensive form of credit 19 percent is the average rate in the states give or take a couple of decimals at the moment as well that doesn't say to me that the household balance sheet is quite as good as you paint a picture
4: yeah steve the way you framed it is exactly how people frame it when they want to be negative okay because you told you just explained the nominal number but you didn't point out what that's relation into household net worth the cash they have on hand or their incomes for that matter If you, to go back to debt, let's just look at aggregate debt. If you compare aggregate debt to aggregate cash held by U.S. households, they have net cash. That hasn't happened since the 1970s, just so we're all aware, okay? So what what we're really dealing with, to get back to this Fed conversation, we're dealing with a Fed that has a situation that can hurt credit markets, as we know. It can hurt stock markets, and it will, but they're having trouble affecting the real economy. It's not really moving the labor market as quickly as people thought it's also not affecting consumer spending like people thought. And so the the question was in the 2010s was, why is the Fed's low rates or central bank low rates not affecting the real economy in the way we'd expect animal spirits, more borrowing, more risk taking, etc. Now we expect higher rates to directly affect the real economy. Didn't we learn in the 2010s that that doesn't work?
2: Cole, I'm just going to say the way I framed it was exactly how the data came out. And I'll just say credit card balances more than 15% higher than the year earlier, the largest annual jump in 20 years. Fact. Amongst Americans carrying credit cards month to month, 60% have been in credit card debt for at least a year, according to creditcards.com. Fact. I haven't framed it. I've just given you the facts, Cole.
4: C- uh, we'll carry on the we debate. Said, we said, we- we um, sit on one of the lowest debt service ratios in U.S. history since 1980. Uh, we're talking about that.
2: the highest on the record high levels. Um, credit card rates at 19 percent and an all time high up from 16 percent a year earlier. And Americans are carrying more debt over on the monthly period. So they are paying that 19 percent. Cole, I haven't framed it. I've just said the facts.
4: And yet the economy chugs along, Steve. So that's a great part. I mean, every, every time people want to doubt the consumer, they've just been dead wrong. And that's the, that's the problem the Fed's dealing with. They think they're going to impact the consumer. No, they've impacted credit markets. They've impacted stock markets. And, and what, what we like about it is that provides so much opportunity in stock picking. People are very fearful of the consumer because they think they're going to hike, hike and fall you know, break the economy. Something's going to snap. And so far, all that's snapped is the quality growth story, which is way overowned in London, is getting its head kicked in. And by the way, we're not done until the quality growth managers in London there. All own energy, just so we're on the same page. That's where hell is, not the consumer.
1: A lag between when the interest rates kick in and if you think about some of the projections from the uh, central bank staff, they are saying that uh, U.S. recession next year is as almost as likely as their baseline projection for weak growth. Well, the markets better hope that it's weak growth because if we tip into recession, data shows that there have been very few recessions over the years that show a contraction of 1%. Most recessions are much larger than that. So shouldn't there be some protection in a portfolio for the downside risk?
4: yeah i mean the downside risk this year has been protected by energy and karen what's interesting is no one's running after that i mean going over to london or europe it's hard to find anybody that cares they're all watching the stocks make a ton of money and yet they haven't moved any capital i mean it's 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 four percent of the s p 500 as an example just from a pure stock market perspective so it's interesting that what is providing the best safety right now investors not running for the other thing i would mention is you have to remember why is the Fed having to raise rates? The Fed's raising rates because of the economy, because of the strength in credit markets, or probably labor markets as an example. So you know, I, I think the risk here is the spillover from credit and stock markets into the real economy, not the real economy spilling over into credit uh, and, and stock markets. Okay, we're, we're seeing layoffs in technology companies. We're seeing layoffs in South Bay, Silicon Valley. You're not finding layoffs in other parts of the US economy. Tech is the weakest spot for labor and stocks. And no one's just saying that that's going to suck for the American stock market because to call a spade a spade, the FTSE and other international stock markets don't carry that kind of risk.
1: So, Cole, if we talk about how we're going to trade into year end, I'm looking at the Dow, it's charting a W shape since June. Where do we go from here? Because we had some market participants saying to us yesterday that we could see fresh lows again.
4: Yeah, if you look at the Dow and compare it to just the average stock in the U.S., um, the Dow's actually done pretty well here recently. The average stock's doing much worse. Um, I, I would just say that you know we're not done with this bear market. Um, you know, my best guess is we're going to find our bear market low sometime in early twenty three. The idea, and I remember two years ago when we visited, i I mocked the millennials all trading out on Robinhood. I called them young and dumb. It got even stupider, obviously, early in twenty one. Um, we have to clean this up. The only way you clean these kind of frothy situations up, is you cause scarring and damage for a decade. So the idea we're gonna have a cute little 20, 25% bear market and every investor is gonna kinda of go back to owning stocks to beat inflation, that just sounds adorable. It's just not gonna happen.
1: Cole, we'll leave it on that note. Thank you very much for joining us, Cole Smead with he's us, great. President Smith Capital Management.
4: He's, I have to say, I thoroughly enjoy speaking to
2: Cole and, and having a vociferous debate with him. He's brilliant, he's a great guy. Like, I mean, he was right about those millennials in out of mum's spare room or whatever it is you said they are.
0: Right. Well, this was the meme stock. The means on the Robin Hood thing uh, as Robin well. The Robin Hood yeah. uh, story and, and people. Well, uh, but, but as we were discussing yesterday, there's a, a little bit of that going on with crypto now. You know, I, I'm going I'm to put a statement out there. I'm going to hold forever. I'm never going to sell this. I'm in love with the story. And, you know, it's you, as it's I, as crazy as people rushing out to no, buy no matter what, I mean, a bust cinema he's chain He's got a US. Buffett picture behind him, Cole, there as yeah. well. And you can do a lot worse. Than,
2: listening to Warren Buffett on stuff, because he's been there, and Charlie Munger, they've been there, done it. He's lost his money on stocks, like, never, ever, there are certain adages that always make sense. Never ever fall in love with something you own as well, you know, reevaluate it. And what is it, A trade when, when a, a trade becomes an investment, when you're on the wrong side of it, and stuff like that, you know, it's like, people have bought this stuff on the thematic, there are some, maybe there are some brilliant blockchain thematics out there as well, there really are. But you don't fall in love with your trade. It's the, the biggest, the easiest way to lose money.
1: And we've been also hearing this week about how dangerous an environment it is. I mean, a couple of major players have been well, telling us issue, that, that your it's money a very violent swing. But also that in some cases you need to have sort of very sophisticated systems to identify the momentum shifts so you're not left behind when the mood music changes. And clearly it's been a very strong rally we've had off the lows. But we were all talking about whether we start to revert back to some lower levels at this point. So if there, there is a change, then it could be swift as well. Uh, meantime, let's push on and take a look at the China situation, also instrumental to the mood this week. Authorities have increased COVID restrictions in parts of Zhengzhou City, that is the location of the world's biggest iPhone factory. Protests broke out at the foxconn plant after the firm tried to delay or deny bonuses to new joiners put into quarantine before working on the assembly lines. Foxconn apologised to the workers, saying a technical error had occurred and that pay has now been guaranteed as previously agreed. Chinese COVID cases have hit a record high with official data showing over 31,000 people tested positive in the past 24 hours. Authorities in large cities continue to tighten restrictions with Beijing shutting down most public venues and Shanghai putting additional restrictions on people entering the city. The country's central bank has indicated it could cut the reserve requirement ratio in a bid to support the economy. Let's get out to Sam for more. Sam, anyone watching this from the outside in saying, how is this different to what we've seen in previous episodes of COVID spikes in China? Why are we not setting up for more supply chain disruptions that cause problems for inflation?
3: Good morning to you, Karen. Well, those pictures that you guys were just showing of people with sticks, I mean, these images are very rare. It is exceptionally unusual to see these kind of protests in China and particularly people clashing with law enforcement. But unfortunately, these are the kind of pictures that we are increasingly seeing out of China as there is this growing frustration with this zero COVID strategy. We were talking about some unrest in Guangzhou last week, people uh, crashing through barricades, clashing with men in hazmat suits and look at these pictures that you're seeing of uh, similar scenes to what we saw there and uh, this is really just uh, the fallout from China's zero COVID strategy being on full display right now uh, over at this major Apple supplier and as you mentioned uh, this is over workers complaining about delayed payments but also these uh, COVID curbs and these living arrangements and uh, some of the people that uh, heard in some of those videos are saying give us our pay. Now it's important to point out uh, that of course this Jungjo foxconn plant uh, which makes iphones has been working in a closed loop management system and that is basically a bubble where these workers practically live at work they are isolated from the rest of the society and that is important because this particular factory pumps out around 70% of global iPhone uh, shipments around the world so uh, what we've now seen here as you mentioned uh, Foxconn saying that this was uh, something to do with the technical problem uh, and they say that they are communicating with these uh, employees but also uh, the government but for context on all of this it was just a few weeks ago that we actually saw workers trying to flee this factory running through the fields back to their hometown and that actually prompted Foxconn to try to incentivize them lure them back with uh, better pay conditions but what the situation now is basically the fallout from that with these workers now complaining uh, that they didn't stick to their promises so this is the result of what we're seeing in these pictures but as i said this is just another example of this mounting frustration we are seeing in China over the zero covid strategy and it comes as we have seen China uh, hitting a new record, uh, over 31,000 new infections reported today. Uh, Now despite that interestingly we've seen that Shanghai Disneyland has said that it's going to be reopening its gates uh, tomorrow after being shut for nearly a month. You remember those uh, pretty grim pictures of people being trapped inside on Halloween so uh, this is interesting because it is certainly an example of China trying to live with the virus while these cases have certainly been uh, on the rise and really just highlighting uh, aspects of this easing while China, of course, is facing these sorts of more targeted lockdowns, these localised lockdowns, they call it. But economists, uh, even though they say this is a positive step uh, with some support for the services sector, uh, it's going to be a fairly costly and bumpy road ahead to this reopening. Guys, back to you.
0: Sam, terrific. Thank you very much indeed for the coverage. And I think those pictures are extraordinary. And I think this does look a little bit different from other COVID lockdown periods we've seen in China with the degree of violence we're now seeing on the street here. And interesting that Apple is now talking about perhaps there may be some issues with people getting hold of um, Apple 14 Pros and so on and so forth because of what's unfolding.
1: It's fascinating, isn't it? We've just come off the back of the Party Congress where it looks as though there is even a strong hand in government Mm. around uh, President Xi and then you have these fights on the ground. You don't expect to see that under this type of government.
0: No, there's going to be, there are going to be consequences. We'll just have to wait and see how yeah. the authorities play this out. Um, EU members remain divided on the Commission's gas price cap plans. We'll be live in Brussels ahead of an emergency meeting of energy ministers. That's still to come.
1: And for more on the rate hiking path facing the Fed, you can check out the Squawkbox podcast.
0: At least 10 people have died and millions have lost power after Russia launched a missile barrage across Ukraine, targeting its electricity grid. Multiple nuclear power plants were forced to shut, plunging key Ukrainian cities, including Kiev and Lviv, into the dark as temperatures fall. Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky dialed into an urgent session of the UN Security Council after calling for a meeting in response to the attacks. Zelensky said power and other utility services are being restored, but accused Russia of using, quote, energy terror to leave millions of people in the dark and cold. Well, Zelensky also said Ukraine is waiting to see, quote, very firm action from the world in response to the latest strikes justice must be restored within the u.n structures themselves the terrorist state should not participate in any voting on the issues of its aggression and its terror it is a stalemate when the one who caused the war the one responsible for the terror blocks any attempt by the u.n security council to fulfill its mandate this is nonsense that the veto right is reserved for the one who is waging a criminal war.
2: Uh, EU countries are set to resume talks either later today or tomorrow on a planned G7 price cap for Russian oil amid disagreement over the figure. Some Eastern European countries believe the cap is way too high and will allow Russia to make too much of a profit, while some Southern European countries think the level is, wait for it, too low. Yeah. Uh, EU member states are also split on the Commission's proposal <coughs> of a 275 euros per megawatt hour price cap on Russian gas. The topic is also set to be discussed at an EU energy meeting Uh, of ministers later today in Brussels. Well, let's get to Sylvia. She's back in her second home of Brussels, maybe your first home now, Sylvia. Sylvia, um, uh, there's a lot of us out there who were looking at the gas price cap and thought, well, this is just utterly pointless because it is way too high and the conditionality attached to it, way too forgiving uh, of high prices and won't affect the Russians at all.
5: Totally that is one of the main opinions that when you look at uh, the broader EU There is indeed a group of countries saying that this Commission proposal is not good enough And that they need to bring down that level from 275 euros megawatt-hour to something lower Some countries suggesting between 100 and 200 euros megawatt-hour. So let's see what sort of detail some of these countries will say later on today where they want that benchmark to sit but there's other opinions when you look at the EU in the context of this cap on natural gas prices there's a second group of countries that what they want to see Is more guarantees more reassurances from the Commission that this measure is not going to distort the markets there's concerns here that if they go ahead and introduce this price cap then that could lead to an increase in consumption and some member states do not want to see that but I have to say Steve that there's actually a third group of countries when you look at this proposal saying that essentially they're just looking at this from a more practical point of view they're saying it's great to have this tool on the table we can use it if the situation gets really bad but in the meantime let's just focus on the other measures that we can do together and among those measures is the fact that they have decided they have agreed to go ahead and buy gas together those joint purchases of gas is something that the EU has already decided. And so therefore, some of the member states are saying, let's just focus on these things that we actually agree and we can actually deliver on those to tackle this energy crisis. All in all, as we look at this energy meeting, It's unclear what sort of breakthrough there will be, if there will be one, to be honest. There's already rumors here in Brussels that perhaps a third meeting will be needed around mid-December to look at this cap on natural gas prices. So let's see what sort of message we'll have from the ministers later on today. But one thing is for sure, and we witnessed this in September, the best way for the EU to deal with the energy crisis, to deal with those higher costs is to remain united when we saw that huge spike in prices in august one of the factors that allowed the eu to bring down some of those costs was to say that they were going to tackle this together. And the energy ministers are aware of this. So they will perhaps try to avoid a very disunited message today. Exactly because if they do go ahead with that, then that could have market repercussions. We could see those Dutch TTF prices going up again. And that's definitely something that the whole of the EU does not want to see. So a lot of pressure here on the energy ministers as they prepare to gather in a couple of hours time.